Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Hashtag Five Things Podcast. With me this week, my trusty partner in crime, Amanda Davis. Hello, Amanda Davis. Welcome back. Good morning, Kenny. Your excitement's getting me excited. Oh, good. I like that. And returning another partner in crime. I'm committing a lot of crimes. The executive director of data strategy from the Gray Group, one Beth Rolfs. Beth, welcome back. Well, gee, thanks. Happy to be here. We are going to talk about some crazy things happening in the world of social marketing, digital, and just this crazy world we're living in. It was a massive week in the social space. There was a ton going on. And this week, we are going to cover the fact that Microsoft is seeking to buy TikTok currently. As of the recording of this podcast, it's not finalized. We're going to talk a bit about Facebook luring TikTok creators over to their platform. So taking advantage of the turmoil that TikTok is going through. We're going to talk a bit about the Commerce Department looking to regulate social media even further. We are going to talk about how Instagram is soaring as an information source. Luckily, we have a data expert on here to talk about that information with. And then finally, hashtag women supporting women is sparking on social. And we'll talk about that piece of content. So without further ado, Beth, kick us off about Microsoft seeking to buy TikTok. Yeah, so I have actually been really involved in this news. Um, Microsoft is seeking to buy TikTok, and this all is coming out of President Trump wanting to ban TikTok. Um, There's some legitimate um, security reasons why this could be a concern. Uh, in 2017, the Chinese government established a law basically that any Chinese company needed to deliver its user data over to the government. So, you know, if ByteDance, who owns TikTok in China, has our user data, that could be handed over to the government. However, um, a way around banning TikTok is having a U.S. business by TikTok, which would be Microsoft. So we are in talks of Microsoft buying TikTok. Um, There's been some really funny conversation about Microsoft being so not TikTok and the three users that love Excel spreadsheets and TikTok. That would be me, would be excited about this, but it'll be an interesting um, acquisition if slash when it happens. Um, and from a marketing perspective, I think it will be interesting in how that user data then gets, you know, disseminated to us marketers coming from Microsoft. What do you guys think? I think it's interesting that that Microsoft uh, is going to reattempt to get into the content creation platform game. Um, you know, their relationship with LinkedIn uh, made a lot of sense given that they doubled down on um, the office 
and the connectivity of office. Um, TikTok's an interesting one. You know, I think the the other brand that might be up there to try and grab a hold of TikTok is Apple. So if you look at what Microsoft and Apple are trying to do, uh, really, it, this is a response to President Trump, but it is also a response to the power of YouTube. And as we dive further and further into the effects of COVID, the inability to produce new scripted content across mainstream channels, I think big tech companies are understanding that these video creation platforms and these creator networks are the most powerful thing out there. It's the virtual Hollywood of the future. So uh, it, it is a it it's a, there's a lot of foresight in Microsoft's attempt. Uh, there are very few brands out there that I think have the capital to go after something like a TikTok. Uh, on the flip side of things, I think the bike dance is going to get completely crushed in the valuation because it's a desperation sell versus an actual you know market value sell. So I, th- I think overall, it's a fairly interesting uh, moment in time for both Microsoft and TikTok. Amanda, what do you think? I was actually going to say something quite similar to what you said, and I think it's going to be a recurring theme in some of these other topics today, is this movement right now in you know mid-2020 for companies that are getting a lot of traffic and eyeballs and um, you know audience to become these almost like entertainment conglomerates all in digital. I mean, you see it happening with Instagram and Facebook, but then at the macro level, how do Apple, Microsoft, um, Disney, other places like that expand their offering, which is, is almost the opposite of what the last 10 years has become very specialized for, for products and for um, verticals and channels. You're almost seeing a bit of that shift into these larger holding company-esque um, acquisitions that are trying to create this destination for entertainment. I thought that the news of Microsoft buying TikTok was a little out of left field. Um, but when you zoom out and look at the whole industry, you're kind of seeing that trend happen a lot of what's the destination when someone picks up their phone or their iPad, like going to one place and trusting one brand to give them the kind of entertainment they need. I think I think a lot of digital brands are trying to do that right now. And and I guess when when you look at it more holistically, it's it's not as surprising as it, as it might seem to some. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how um, the algorithm changes or remains the same if Microsoft does end up owning TikTok. Um, TikTok has some very advanced audience uh, segmentations that they do. There's 10,000 people in the world that see the exact same content you do, which is not that many when you think about it. Um, And there's also been a lot of criticism of the platform of suppressed content. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if that continues, how it changes, what the platform will become under different ownership. Microsoft has to fight the urge to do what Facebook does all of the time, which is connect everything and make everything feel universal. If I open up Outlook and there's a TikTok tab, I will lose my mind. Uh, the, The thing that makes TikTok so special and what Facebook did with Instagram in the very beginning, which was what made it work even more was let TikTok be TikTok. And this is just about um, creating a space of safety and trust within the app. I think that's really good. If this is a play by Microsoft to get into the social media game, that's a whole different story. So now 
as TikTok is in turmoil and we don't know where we'll, TikTok will land, we see, Amanda, that Facebook is luring TikTok creators over to their platform. So tell us a little bit about that. I love the drama. This is actually probably the most expected update that we could discuss this week that Instagram has copied another platform and created reels available globally to creators, which if you're not familiar with TikTok in some weird world, or you haven't checked out reels, it's essentially the very same interface of you can record music, video, there's timer functions, you can add AR effects, you can edit your videos to align at certain points. It is very similar, if not the same as TikTok. And on top of that, um, in Instagram statement, they actually mentioned that there will be a, a featured page, which is the same if you're familiar with TikTok as the For You page. Um, so I, that's a bit of a precede to, yes, there will be an explore page for things to go viral and get popular. The next step is then how do brands reserve that space? There's probably some kind of media approach there that makes sense for marketers. I think at the end of the day, I imagine we talk about Instagram's copycatting a bit. But the bottom line is, and I know we touched on this last week, is that they're good at it. They create, they're creating TikTok, but simpler in an interface that people already know. And it's much more intuitive. I organically from people I follow have seen reels being posted saying, wow, I don't need TikTok anymore. I can talk to my friends that are on this one platform with these features that are on another platform. It, I, I see it being successful and I see it taking off the same way that Instagram stories did. Um, but what I do think is interesting is the way that Instagram, and I, I kind of mentioned this a second ago, but the way that they're seeing this addition, of course, just like with everything else, they don't see it as a copycat. They more so see it as an extension of different functions in their app. So like we were saying is they are on the way to trying to become a full service if you want to watch long form content, you have IGTV, 15 second reels, you know, in feeds, very curated, all of these different ways of playing, um, add in things like the new shopping tab, um, the new way that they've organized the explore page and things like that. It is this, this very calculated move to make sure that you don't have to leave Instagram for any kind of content that you want to see, no matter what, you know, headspace you're in or how much time you have. Um, so I think this isn't unexpected. But what I am curious to see is, is what other features are they going to, what's next? Like, what are they going to pull into the app next? Are they going to, you know, pull in a Quibi, a Netflix type style? Are they going to try to do, you know, docu-series? Like, it's clear what their strategy is. And I don't think there, I don't think there's any risk. I think people will use it and they're going to love it. Their friends are there. They're already. You know what? It's clear what their strategy is, is the statement of the day, because honestly, it's not a strategy. It's a blunt force object. Um, it is, we see something successful, we either acquire it or mimic it. And we hope that our user base is so attached to being in our ecosystem that they won't go elsewhere. Um, I remember when Snap and Facebook had their standoff a few years back. And the conversation was that they were going to create the snap killer. And, uh, you know, I don't know about all of you, but I think when you go to the best friends network of snap and you go to talk to your friends, you, you feel much more comfortable doing it there than you do in messenger. Um, I don't see a lot of Gen Zers flocking to messenger, uh, to mimic the experience that they have on snap. Um, this is a hedge. Um, if TikTok is to get banned in the United States, 
this could be the spot that these these creators land. Um, candidly, you know, I think these creators probably have a better shot of monetizing and being successful using YouTube than they do using Reels on Instagram. Uh, so it, it's it, it's a fundamental question, and I feel this way for marketers as well. Is it about being really good in one place? Or is it about being okay in a bunch of different places? And and this, like, if you're a Charlie D'Amelio or you are an Addison Ray, you're going to be building TikToks for Vertical. You're going to be working with on Instagram. You're going to be need supporting over your, your following there. You're going to be on YouTube doing longer form things. Like, it's becoming a lot. And what I think was a lightweight thing is now a heavyweight thing. Um, so I, I don't know if this works for Facebook. Um, and I don't know if you can call it a strategy as much as a fight to maintain the heart and soul of the youth of America. I don't know. Beth, what do you think? Oh, man. So I think people will use this functionality on Instagram. I think Instagram knows that people are in their platform for hours upon hours of the day. Um, I think as marketers it feels like an opportunity to insert ourselves into the platform in a way that I just don't think works on TikTok. Every time I see an ad on TikTok, it's, I have like an allergic reaction to it, even as a marketer. So I can't imagine how people who just want fun videos feel. But I'm with you. I think it's blunt force. We've seen it before. It's like, do you hate the player, hate the game? I don't know, but it's happening. Well, then, that is, you know, <laughs> we, could, we could have a full <laughs> pod just on this topic. <laughs> um, but in the interest of time for our listener out there, um, I want to make sure that we move on to the next thing, which is uh, about the Commerce Department seeking to regulate social media. And I think all of these things are interconnected to one another. So President Trump is still pretty angry with Twitter. Uh, as of last night, he was, uh, last night being Wednesday, the 5th of August, uh, that, you know, Trump was temporarily banned from the platform for sp spreading some misinformation. Uh, TikTok users trolled the president's rally in Tulsa. Facebook marked a post of his as being uh, inaccurate and temporarily suspended. So as the platforms push back against misinformation as we lead into the election, President Trump has asked the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, to write a new set of rules to basically stop social media platforms from being not nice to him. Uh, so there was a 55-page proposal that was released earlier in the week uh, by the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which is a subsection of the Commerce Department, uh, which would have the FCC rewrite the rules of the Communications Decency Act. Um, and honestly, with, with the way that this is moving, it's not about protecting social platforms. Um, it, it's about really uh, protect, protecting Trump. Uh, to be completely candid, do you know? I, I I don't know if this is the solution, but I do think this lends a broader question about the regulation of social media on the whole. 
um, and what does it mean for platforms that were born out of the opportunity for users to speak their mind, regardless of what they believed in, uh, to becoming, honestly, the, the largest foundational component of how we communicate, market, share, and connect with one another. So um, th this is this is bigger than Trump. Uh, I think the, the reason we're talking about it right now has to do with Trump's ego. But you know, there there are no. You think about the four most powerful companies in the world right now, and it is Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And these are all technology platforms and they all connect people together. So, you know, I think um, the, the regulation is coming and it has to be done in a responsible way because these rules shouldn't be done to uh, protect one party or one person or one viewpoint, but they should be designed to create a safe space for people to speak their minds. So with that, I open it up to the crew. Uh, any thoughts on uh, this this instance of the Commerce Department looking to regulate social media? Oh man, so many thoughts. Um, so my finance background goes to like the economic theory around regulation that regulation leads to innovation, which leads to deregulation. It's kind of the circular or circular path that we um, see in a lot of industries, and so. With that being said, I think if we do regulate in any of our social platforms, that will just lead to innovations that get around the regulations. And then we'll probably revisit this and deregulate or adjust those regulations. Um, I think you hit it on the head. And the reason we're talking about this is Trump's ego. But this will have lasting effects if it's to happen that just gut reaction i don't i don't feel great about um i think it takes away a lot of the um the the way that the platform is being used the way that the platforms um allow people to have a voice and uh i think as marketers it could also really trip up some of the work that we want to be doing to impact culture and um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think it's a little disappointing, I think, for most people, especially marketers and people who are kind of active on social to know that, you know, there, there's rules and crackdowns coming. At the same time, I'm curious. I mean, we saw this a little bit when, you know, influencers first became a thing um, and, and the water started to get very muddied of, you know, what does uh, exchange of goods and services on the platform look like? How transparent does everyone need to be? And I, I do think that that specific iteration of this was helpful and actually like very illuminating for a lot of the platform. Um, so that's your point. I think that there will be a, a little good and a little bad out of all this. I think what's going to be very, very challenging is keeping up with the way that all of this affects how brands behave on social and what that means. I mean, there is, you know, a, a century of rules written around TV media, broadcast media, things that are a little bit more of your traditional, um, you know, marketing mediums. So the idea of social kind of getting that same treatment of, of very strict rules and regulations on a platform that's constantly changing 
I don't know that I trust um, the Commerce Department to necessarily be that um, constantly evolving source of what is the right way to treat this. Um, I think it'll be something that a lot of rules are laid down over the next five years. And then they're all very irrelevant, depending on what kind of features Instagram rolls out, who they copy next, you know, what's the next platform that's not even a social platform, maybe it's a Skillshare platform or something else like, like social media is becoming a name for a lot of things that aren't even really social media anymore. So I think as much as it will be helpful as a place to start. I more so would be interested in what's the long-term commitment to making sure that these are still, that we're constantly re-looking at and re-evaluating these, whatever policies come out of this kind of push or else we're trapped again in something that people will then find another media like they did with TV broadcast to try to have a little bit more of an open um, conversation. So let's think about this historically, right? So. The first television sets to be in homes were in the late 1940s. And when you think about when the FCC started to uh, create advertise uh, to create regulations around television, you were looking in the 1950s and 60s. Um, and, and it was a pre- it took 10 to 15 years for the regulations to meet the channels. So if we think about where we are in that in that journey, Facebook was created 16 years ago. Um, so we, we're getting to that point where um, you know these channels are not infants. Although sometimes they are treated still like this new burgeoning platform, when in fact they're decades old at this point. And, uh, you know, I think this is a long time coming. What scares me the most is that it is coming out of a place of ego, not out of a place of uh, broader necessity. And for marketers, I think it just creates uh, more hurdles to understand to creating good work where it all lies. And I would be remiss if I didn't say this from a perspective of what we do at Gray. It's about creative solutions. It's not about usurping the rules. Um, I I believe that there's the ability to be creative and market within the rules that are created. Um, So all that to say, it'll be a very, this is not something we're going to wake up in six months and this is going to be solved. I think this is the next great chapter of the story of social media. Um, so, uh, buckle up people. (laughs) It's going to be a long drive. Um, So now Amanda, Instagram is soaring as an information source. Tell us a bit about it. I love this topic and this update. Um, anyone friends with me on social media knows that this is my personal point of view as well. Um, so what's, what's kind of happening over the last, you know, four, three, four months is Instagram has moved from this very polite and nicely curated platform to now a bunch of information that is here to just make sure that you're tracking and understand what's going on with the world, whether you like want to hear it or not. Um, And I love that. I think it obviously comes at a time, you know, after George Floyd's death and a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement, it was picking up a lot of steam and, and just information needed to get out. People are stuck in their homes. 
no one really trusts news media. No one's really watching TV. People aren't really going to CNN or, you know, NBC to really get a lot of this information. And candidly, a lot of the, the factual reporting is not happening on, on those big platforms. That's my personal point of view. Um, so it's obvious that there needed to be kind of somewhere that was um, centrally located and accessible to share all of this information. So a lot of people have been talking um, lately about how Instagram's become this this informational hub and this, you know, Twitter as well, but but mainly Instagram known for one thing has almost overnight turned into this library of education, literature, you know, op-eds, uh, information that you just from all over the place that you might never get in your day to day. I love this. I am I am assuming along with a lot of other people in the last year have have kind of fallen out of love with my personal use for Instagram. You know, I'm seeing the, the brunch pictures and the fun and like the beautiful locations. And while it's a nice entertainment, it wasn't really becoming fulfilling anymore. I think at the beginning of this year, I was using it a lot less than I ever had. I already knew what I was going to see. I knew what my friends were going to post. I knew what brands were going to post. It was becoming a little bit expected. So I think people were feeling a little bit of boredom and, and you know, not to mention all the scientific ties to how terrible social media is for your health and your mental health, your physical health, etc. So I think this was a very welcome shift and kind of the the almost serendipitous use of Instagram in the way that people really wanted to get that information out of the platform and, and now they have. So there's a lot of kind of micro changes that have come from that. Obviously, um, Instagram about like a year ago started uh, the feature where you can share store share in feed posts to your story. So whereas Facebook or LinkedIn has like a reshare button, this was Instagram's version of that, which immediately made information spread very quickly. And then on top of that, you're seeing a lot of um, not only publishing brands, um, but people and just content creators moving into text-based posts, like needing to research information before, uh, you know, putting it on their feed, things like that. So there's a lot of these kind of micro shifts in how content is being created on Instagram and, and what's successful. Like, what are people using Instagram for right now? It's absolutely not the same as it was six months ago. And all to kind of extend from the conversation we were having earlier of there's a there's a whole other use for Instagram now. There's reels where you're having fun and doing dances. There's all of the informational accounts that like a lot of people are following and getting, you know, their news source from. Um and I think that Instagram, while they did not plan this by any means, it was a little bit of use what you have and use what's accessible to you as a grassroots like activist. Um I, I'd imagine they're benefiting quite quite well from this. Um and it's it's I don't know that we need to go back to what Instagram was before of just a lot of self-service and a lot of, you know, clout building at the time. So to me, I love the change. And I, I hope that I don't expect it to stay as as um, intense as it is right now. But I do hope that it keeps a little bit of a of a social justice narrative from the users specifically, not not necessarily from the platform. You're seeing it. And that was so well put together, Amanda, and we appreciate all that information. You know, you're seeing like a Refinery29 with roughly two and a half million followers. They went from 41% text-based posts in January to 72% text-based posts in July. Um, Business Insider, which is completely, you know, which is on a different side of the journalistic scale, went from 5% text-based to 48% text-based on Instagram. So what you're seeing is 
this, and that was all done uh, in an analysis by Axios, and they were looking into this trend of of how this, you know, this information source is is budding on Instagram, and that people are using it as a place to quickly and efficiently disseminate information. What I find really interesting was uh, for all the kids at home, we had a thing called infographics that used to be the big trend and every client was asking for an infographic. And it's amazing that we have evolved to just using text to display data versus say, uh, being able to visualize it in some interesting way. You know, if only there were a data expert on this podcast right now to talk to us about this. <laughs> I'm here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting. This is like not the data. Sorry to let you down, Kenny. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see the the types of people that continue to use Instagram for the that curated life post in more in the lifestyle way versus um, these brands and people that are using it in. I think a more authentic and information sharing way. I also, I do think that this comes just culturally from what we've seen other social platforms doing um, and TikTok and like the ability to be uh, more candid and less curated. And going back to Amanda, the stuff you said about mental health, like I, I think it's a great transition of the platform. Um, it will be... I don't know. In my head, I have this idea that there's like this race happening between all the different platforms, because if you don't need to go to Twitter for text based insights and what people's thoughts are and information, and you can get that all in Instagram, excuse me, in Instagram, what happens there? Well, it's interesting. Um, a, a good friend of mine, his name is Moshe Wanunu. You can follow him on Instagram at Moshe, M-O-S-H-E-H. -H. Um, he's the former executive producer of CBS Nightly News. And uh, since leaving that role, he's actually taken to Instagram to creating an unbiased daily digest of everything that's happening in the news. And he does it through quick hit quotes, um, as well as a photo or some sort of piece of information. And during COVID, with people being weary of trusting cable news and trusting sort of what's fake and what's not, he has proven out that you can basically build a news network on Instagram uh, with ease as and you know maintain an unbiased approach to doing it. It just proves the power of Instagram and the point of this article. Um, so this article across the whole... Uh, and we can include it, maybe, Joey, I don't know if we can do this, but we'll include a link to this article because I think uh, it's fascinating to see uh, how Instagram has evolved. And I believe Moshe is actually in the article, uh, so you can check it out. Oh, and Amanda, I think you have one more point. I do. I also am thinking about, and I don't know what the answer is, so it's more of a question. I'm thinking about how this impacts the way that brands show up in your feed. I don't know about you guys, but I, I follow a lot of these kind of educational resources. Um, and because I interact with them more, I obviously get served more in the algorithm, et cetera. There is a little bit of a disconnect right now where you're reading a lot of very heavy, important, um, you know, global information. And then you get served a very silly ad for something you didn't even want. That makes you kind of recoil a little bit. Um, so I'm trying to, and I, I know that we, you know, think a lot about it in the creativity lens, but 
when you really think about it more specifically in like the media buying lens of where are we buying our media and how is it showing up? Is it the right thing to perhaps be inserted into that feed of, of information? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's certain ways that we can target, you know, the people that we're trying to get to so that we're not creating this knee jerk reaction and feeling very irrelevant to what they're already um, consuming. So that's just something that's been on my mind is how do we kind of bridge the gap because not every brand needs to show up in a, in a heavy, like activist way. But if you are going to have something that's a little bit more lighthearted or, or disconnected from that conversation, it is important to know that a lot of people are using Instagram for this educational resource. And if you feel out of the mix, it might, it might be a little bit negative um, based on wherever your placements are. Yeah. That's a great point to end on here. Uh, we're going to transition to one of the latest content trends that's been going on. Um, and it's an important one. So I'm going to let Beth talk a little bit about women supporting women uh, and how that sparked on social. Yeah. Hashtag women supporting women. So I have to say that I have been part of this trend and gone on this journey that I'm about to talk about personally. So um, I think anyone who has been on social in the last couple of weeks have seen the hashtag challenge accepted trend where women support uh, post a black and white picture of themselves and then they challenge someone else to also post a black and white picture in this beautiful message of solidarity and women's genuinely supporting each other, which was how, and it took off on Instagram like all of these challenges do. It was beautiful. It was genuine. But there's a twist. Then we heard that there was this like rumbling on all of these social media platforms that this was actually being misappropriated. And um, there was a bigger issue in Turkey that this was representing about female or femicide and the massive amounts of violence that we see towards women in Turkey, which then you see a lot of people editing their posts, I totally did this as well, to then include information about Turkey and femicide and make sure that um, we're bringing attention to this horrible issue and giving the challenge um, kind of the credence it deserves and where it came from. Which turns out, final plot twist, is actually not how the challenge started. It, it started from uh, a reporter in Brazil who posted this beautiful photo of herself and kicked off this truly women supporting women empowerment challenge. However, this isn't a bad thing because there is a huge issue in Turkey with violence towards women and femicide. And there's been an outpouring of support, of activism, of acknowledgement. Um, there's been some changes within Turkey. Uh, and I think it was kind of, it's funny how it happened because the internet is full of misinformation, but not a bad thing that it happened. Um, and I think it still is in the vein of women supporting women. I, this has been a really interesting, I agree. It's been really interesting to watch. I actually like, for some reason did not catch this whole uh, challenge when it happened. So I got all of the updates at once and it was a real thrill ride. Um, but I think what's really interesting is you have two very similar stories of things in society one being you know post a black box for black lives matter on tuesday or whatever day that was about a month or two ago 
you have this other version, which is post a picture of yourself and create awareness for this problem with two very different outcomes. And I think obviously the black box version of it was not, it wasn't necessary. Um, it took, you know, space and attention away from black creators and black writers that needed that platform to talk. This, to your point, Beth, actually did illuminate this topic for a lot of people. So I, I think what's interesting is seeing people's idea of awareness become a little bit blurry. Like, is awareness helpful for a, a cause or is it not? It, that's, it's not that simple of a question anymore. It's very much depends on what the cause is and depends on how the information is spreading and what the outcome is. Like, I, I really hope that both of those kind of occurrences are are pushing people to think a little bit more critically about why awareness matters and if awareness matters and how they spread that. So I had not heard about the femicide in Turkey. I'll admit that until this came up. Uh, now I do. And now there's a lot of, I see a lot more, you know, articles about it and, and you know, op-eds about it and kind of information about how you can support. So this is a case where awareness truly does help. Like they've, a lot has come from that. But I think, you know, there might be something else next month that comes up that feels like an awareness play. Um, and I think that instead of people just, you know, deciding whether or not they're going to partake, um, depending on, you know, what their friends are doing or what, you know, feels like the right thing. I hope that this prompts a little bit more of a critical thinking of what is the act, you know, what is the act in activism and is the act helpful or not? Yeah, I think it's really cool how this kind of shifted from slacktivism to activism. I did when I first saw the posts and looked up what the challenge was about. I participated because Women's Party Women does mean something to me, like so deep down. But I did have that moment of this is just posting pictures like women supporting women is actually the actions you take in your life. And I think it's very easy to say I support women, I support people of color, I support all these different things and post a picture versus actually live that truth and that reality. So I'm with you. I think it's wonderful that something is coming out of this that's bigger than people being like, toss, toss my hair. I support women too. Right. And I'd, I'd like to think, you know, if this happened in a month, people would take a moment and say, hey, maybe instead of posting a picture of myself, I'll post some of my favorite female authors, activists, you know, educators, whoever in their life actually does, you know, they do want to support and uplift. And, and I, you know, maybe we'll change it, Beth. Let's go post some other women with that hashtag and we'll, we'll change the challenge. I think that's more of like I love it. The, the critical thinking that needs to happen is like, how do we really make that what you, what you were just describing part of this entire activation? So let's do it. I, I will say, uh, you know, context and action are two of the major themes that come out of it and understanding where things um, originate and how, what the point is and how you can make it your own as well as, you know, go beyond the superficial uh, to, to make impact. Let me just say, I love ending on that. Um, so thank you to two of the most badass, brilliant, supportive women that I get to work with on a regular basis. Um, you know, we're gonna continue to support uh, all people from across all different walks of life and background because uh, our diversity will make us better, smarter, stronger, uh, and more creative, which is always good. Um, so at the end of it all, I want to say thank you to Amanda and Beth. We'll be back next week. Don't worry. Don't go far. And as always, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. Thanks for listening. 
The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.